Well, happy Christmas. It's great to see you. I hope it's been going well so far this week, and it's lovely to be able to be with you together this morning. If you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2. We are going to look today at an unusual Christmas passage. It's not like one of the classic carol service texts, and it's not one of the ones you'd normally expect us to have in our lead-up to Christmas either, but it's a beautiful statement of the reasons why Christmas is important and why it happened in the first place. It's basically an explanation of why it is that God became man in Jesus Christ. Why did God have to become a human? Why was Christmas needed? What's Christmas for? And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 together. And in many ways, it's not really a telling of the Christmas story as it is an explanation, really eight reasons why the Christmas story had to happen. Eight reasons why Christmas, if you like. And uh, this is as part of a letter where the writer is saying, look, Jesus, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ is better than all of these uh, things that we had in the Old Testament, much better than the Old Testament law and the Old Testament priesthood and the Moses and lots of these giants of Jewish faith. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. And in doing that, he then gives eight reasons why God became human in Jesus Christ. To subdue creation, to suffer death, to sanctify his family, to sing with his family, to slay the devil, to set free slaves to the fear of death, to sacrifice for sins, and to sympathize with sinners. And it's a really rich, beautiful, deep passage. So we're going to jump right in and read it together. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful 
and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Eight reasons for Christmas in this passage. Eight reasons why all of the things we've been celebrating in the last week or month had to be true for the gospel to be possible. And the first reason is that God became human or Christmas happened in order that God might subdue creation, verses five to nine. That effectively, Christmas is an act of God stepping into the world to bring creation back into line, verses five to nine. It wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere, what's man that you're mindful of him? Quotes Psalm 8, and then says, now in putting everything in subjection to humans, he left nothing outside human control. And at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to humans, but we do see Jesus, the one who was for a little while made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour. It's a complicated passage. What the writer is saying is that God made humans, not angels, in charge of the earth. And we abdicated our responsibility. That's what the quote from Psalm 8 is all about. The writer is saying, God said to human beings, you govern creation. I'm going to put everything under your feet. But when we look around the world today, we don't see everything under human beings' feet. It actually looks like the world is in rebellion and disorder and chaos. So what's gone wrong? And the answer is that human beings abdicated our responsibility to take care of and steward and subdue the earth and by effectively handing it over, it's like a hot potato story that God gives authority to us. In fact, what happens in the Genesis story, God gives authority to the man who gives it to the woman who gives it to the snake. And the snake says, all right, I'll call the shots then and I'll tell you what I think God would have you do. And it all goes horribly wrong. So what happens is that Jesus enters the world at Christmas. The Why God comes into the world is that Jesus comes in to wrest control of creation back from the serpents and to restore human authority over the world. Because that was God's original design. So when Adam in the Garden of Eden says to, effectively to God, not your will but mine be done, and hands authority to the snake, Jesus comes along and crushes the snake and says, not my will but yours be done, O God. So you see, it's an inversion, it's a reversal of what happened in Eden. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, that's one of the reasons God became human. God became human to restore humans' rightful place as the authority figure, as the governor of creation. And at the moment, we don't see human beings fully ruling and reigning in that capacity, but we do see Jesus, our human representative, crowned with glory and honour. That's the first reason God became man at Christmas. Why did God become human? To subdue creation. Second reason, verses 9 and 10, God became human to suffer death. Jesus, with the verse we've just read, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, from whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So that's, Jesus came so that... By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God became human in part in order that he might suffer death on behalf of everybody else. 
Right? Now, we spend our lives trying to avoid death, don't we? That's rightly that we do, by the way. That's what pain is for. It's to stop us from doing things that might unintentionally kill us. But it's why we experience pain. It's why we wear seatbelts. It's why we look when we're crossing the road. It's why we go into national lockdowns. It's why we clap the NHS. Right? We are trying to avoid death and we're trying to look for any way out of it we can possibly find. God in Christ does the opposite. God steps into the world to find out, to chase death down and say, I'm going to take you on directly. I'm going to look into the jaws of death and then I'm going to defeat you so that other people, me having tasted it for them, so that they might be freed from it. And so God, from birth, God's destiny is to die for us. Jesus tastes death for everyone. It's like the end of Harry Potter. Right? This is where you've got this boy. Got, if he goes out as our representative, if he dies, then he may, and he then rises again, we're all going to win. It's like from the, begin, from the moment he's born, he's got this thing over, hanging over his life. In you is going to be the hope of the rest of the wizarding world. And that's the way that we look at Jesus Christ. We say, you know, of course, that's the whole point of the story. It's a parable in that sense of Jesus. But we then look to Jesus and say, You're, you are our representative. If you taste death, I don't have to. I can come out the other side of death because you died in my stead. And that's why God became human at Christmas. So God became human to subdue creation, to suffer death. Thirdly, God became human to sanctify his family. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, that means makes holy, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So to sanctify is to make holy, to make pure and right. And Jesus, by being fully human, is able to sanctify or fully to make holy his people because we all, the writer says, we all have one source. That is, we've got the same stock, right? We're part of the same race. Jesus is human just like we are. Without Christmas, that wouldn't work. Without Christmas, God could refer to human beings as sons and daughters but not as brothers and sisters. But because of the incarnation, because God became human, because of the manger, because of Bethlehem, we are siblings of Christ Jesus and sanctified by him as our representative because he's just like us. Do you see? It changes the term. So we are sons and daughters of God the Father, but we are now brothers and sisters of Jesus, the older brother. And because he and we have the same source, he can sanctify us, his family, as our priestly representative which is exactly what he does as he goes to the cross and rises again fourth reason god became human is and we would easily miss this one is to sing with his family that just sounds such a strange thing for the writer to say but that's what he says in verses 12 and 13 saying so this is why jesus came saying i will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I, Jesus, will sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. The writer's trying to say, listen, Jesus is just like you. And the reason I know he is is because of these Old Testament texts in which Jesus says he's going to come and be with his brothers and sisters and sing praises to God with them in the midst of the congregation. God in Christ doesn't just sanctify his family, make us holy, you and me, He also, having made us holy, rejoices with his family. He sings with his family. Jesus becomes our worship leader because he is a human as well as fully God. And so he's able to represent us not only in holiness, 
but also in worship and in song. And Jesus, as a man on earth, you can see him doing this, celebrates the goodness of God as a fellow human with us. He goes to the temple. He prays. He proclaims and preaches. He rejoices. He sings praises to God in the midst of the congregation, along with his brothers and sisters. And as we saw a few months ago, if you were at the start of our, towards the end of our Luke series we did, just at the very beginning of lockdown, we saw this in a, in a, there's a powerful passage just in Luke 22, where Jesus is about to go out and be handed over to be crucified. And the last thing he does, we noticed, is that he sings a hymn with his brothers. He literally sings in the congregation with his brothers. Because Jesus is effectively acting out what it's like for him as a fully human person to praise God, even as he himself is also fully God. It's a rich mystery we could talk about for hours, but the fourth reason God became human is to sing with his family. The fifth and sixth reasons God became human go together. God became human to slay the devil and in doing it to set free slaves to the fear of death. And those two things belong together because slaying the devil and setting people free who were slaves to the fear of death by the devil are really two sides of the same coin. Verses 14 and 15. He himself partook of the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, that's a powerful text. And I want us to look into it in a slightly unusual way. Some of you may know, I trust, probably some of us have, some of us won't, know of the American pastor John Piper. He's a wonderfully gifted Bible teacher who is excellent at just getting to the, the, the in, in, inner workings of a text, if you like. And one of the most outstanding tools he's produced is something called Look at the Book. It's something he does online where he basically gets the text of Scripture written on the screen and then puts his pen around it in different colours to show you how the text works and how it reveals the truth that it does. And they're called Look at the Book. They're all free online. And this is an example of one of them. And I'm partly using it because I want to introduce you to the tool. I think it's helpful. But partly because it's a wonderful example of how to go deep into a text. And he does that on exactly this passage, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, to show us why then, why Christmas. So let's have a look at the video for a moment. There are four reasons for Christmas in this text. First, number one, since therefore the children, that's us, children of God, and in this case, according to the context, children of Christ. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that is flesh and blood. So reason number one is because since we children are human, he partook of our nature. And we'll see why he wanted to come among us. But reason number one is we're human, therefore he became human. Reason number two, in order that, here it is, in order that through death, so stop right there. So reason number two is he couldn't die, so he could die is why he came, in order that through death, you can't die if you're not human. In order that through death, he might, here's number three, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 
So reason number three is to destroy the devil. Evidently, we'll see why in a minute, he needed to die in order to destroy the one who uh, has the power of death, namely the devil. And the fourth reason that he gives for why Christmas is and he did this in order that he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So reason number four is to deliver us from the slavery which results from fear, which results from impending death. So let's, let's sum them Let's sum them up. Reason number one, Christmas happened because we are human. Two, Christmas happened so that by becoming human, he might die. So he could die. And just stop and ponder that for just a minute. That means that the purpose of God for his son to die preceded his purpose for the incarnation to happen. Because the reason for the incarnation is the death of the Son of God. It's not as though uh, the Son of God had planned to come among us for some other reason and something went wrong, and well, I guess you'll have to go to die now. No, no. The purpose was to die. And in order to die, you must share in flesh and blood. Third, he died so that through death he might destroy the devil. And fourth, he destroyed the devil who has the power of death so that he could free us from slavery to the fear, lifelong fear of death, of death. The assumption of this writer is that everybody has a deep, even if unconscious, fear of dying, and that that deep subconscious fear holds us in lifelong slavery. But we are set free from that by the power of Christ in his death, destroying the works of the devil, and that's possible because he, he died, and that's possible because he partook of flesh and blood, and that's why Christmas. Isn't that great? You see, it's really helpful, isn't it? God became man to slay the devil, reason five, and thereby to set free those who are slaves to the fear of death, reason six. There's a lot of reasons for Christmas, a lot of good things, good reasons to celebrate what we, we're now in, I think it's the third day of Christmas today, isn't it? September the, uh, December the 27th. So it's day three of Christmas. We've got another nine to go. It's good to celebrate and recognize the reasons why God has done what he's done. 
The seventh reason, we're going to do eight in total. The seventh reason God became human is to sacrifice for sins. Verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Notice what he's saying. He had to be made like us in every way so that he could make atonement for our sins. And that's because it's only a human being who can serve as a high priest because priests have to be representatives. They have to be just like us. It's like the captain of the football team has to be in the football team. He has to represent, in that sense, the rest of the team. That's why he can serve as their their representative to go and stand in front of the ref and argue about this, that, the other, or pick up the cup. Jesus had to be, in that sense, had to be like us so that he could represent us. So only a human being can represent us in his priestly work. But only a divine being can be truly merciful and faithful. Because actually no human being is perfectly merciful or perfectly faithful. We actually think we need the sympathy. We're not the ones dispensing mercy, we're the ones in need of mercy. So only if you have a divine and a human high priest do you have somebody who is merciful and faithful and a high priest who can represent you and make atonement for your sins. It's no good having an angel as a high priest because they can't represent you. They don't know what it's like to be human. But ordinary humans don't cut the mustard either because we're not impartially merciful or perfectly faithful. Even God himself can only represent us perfectly as a high priest, making atonement for our sins because he has been made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. That's at the heart of the Christian message, that Jesus can die for you and can apply the benefits of his redemption to your life because he knows what it's like to be human. Because he's lived through it. So he can apply his sacrifice to your sin and mine and wipe away the guilt from our consciences because he is completely like us and yet without sin. God became human to sacrifice for sins. And finally, eighth reason why Christmas. God became human to sympathise with sinners. For because he himself has suffered... When tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. If it were not for Christmas, you and I couldn't really turn to God when we're struggling with temptation because we, might have, we would actually find ourselves saying to him at that point, God, you don't know what it's like. And actually, that's what Muslims who believe in Allah, that's what they would say of, the, of God. That's one of the things they logically would believe. That actually, Allah does not know what it's like to live a human life. That would be part of their faith. The Christian looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and says, yes, you do. You do know what it's like to be tempted and tested in every way. If you say to the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know what it's like, he says to you, yes, I do. I have been there. I have done that. I've got the T-shirt and the T-shirt is covered in blood. I have been there. I know what it's like. And Hebrews comes back to that very point later on, chapter 4 and verse 15. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with us, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we are, and yet without sin. And so when you see a nativity scene, you might have one in your house right now, or in your window, or on Christmas cards, in the room where you're watching this, but when you see a nativity scene this Christmas, it is preaching this point to you. 
That baby in the manger is going to grow up and experience every kind of human temptation and he's never going to give in to them. And because he isn't, because he's going to experience the testing of humanity and emerge victorious through it, he can sympathise with you. He can stand alongside you. He can come next to you. He can encourage you and say, I know. I've been there. I've been in dark moments like you have. I've been in desperate moments like you have. I've, been, I've gone for 40 days without food. I've been thirsty. I've been exhausted. I've been, in fact, all of the experiences, the temptations you have. I know what it's like to experience all manner of human temptation, but I have nevertheless been without sin my whole life, and so I know what it's like to be drawn to that, but I didn't give in, and because of that, I can stand with you and encourage you and represent you and help you. Because of Christmas, Christ is able to sacrifice for sins and sympathise with sinners. He has sanctified and sung with his family. He has subdued creation and he has suffered death, slain the devil and set free slaves to the fear of death, which means that you and I can find freedom and hope in his name. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonder of Christmas, not just the celebration of it and the festival of it and the story of it, but the theological power of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that God has become flesh in Jesus. And because he has, all of these consequences follow. Such encouragement for our souls, Lord, as we worship, as we delight in you together. I pray you would write again on our hearts the joy of what it is to have an older brother in Jesus Christ who has lived the human life fully and yet never put a foot wrong. I pray that that would be an encouragement and a powerful strength, a source of strength to all of my brothers and sisters. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.